So we are continuing in a series called Belong, seven things that we all have in common, uh, seven things we all share in common, and um, basically it's coming out of a list in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, which talks about this idea that if you follow these things that he's going to set up, that the apostle Peter's going to set up, um, we get to participate, the Bible says, in the divine Nature, And what I'm hoping to do this morning is tie together not only this list out of 2 Peter and not only this series, uh, but also what it looks like to make wise decisions every single day. As we saw with um, Larry and Joyce up here, um, there was no one big event that gets you through 60 years of marriage. Um, from what I understand, they haven't won the lottery yet. Maybe that'll come. Uh, there was no big, it's these small little decisions, one after the other, after the other. Tiny little decisions that build on each other. We all want a quick fix, right? We all want one thing. I specifically asked the question. I did not tell them what I was going to ask them. I didn't tell them how to answer, but I specifically asked Larry the question, what would you give, what piece of advice would you give uh, to someone like me who's just young, newly married, 32 years, whatever? And the idea that he shared was this idea that it's a daily thing, a daily walk with Jesus that over time builds and builds and builds. As a church, as a Christian, if you're new to the Bible or maybe you're just trying to figure it out, uh, you look at life maybe through the lens of, um, I, I know that when I, when I was a, when I'm a, when I go golfing, okay, and people find out I'm a pastor, everything changes. As a matter of fact, I have this rule with a buddy of mine. We go golfing every year. Don't tell them I'm a pastor. <laughs> like, because there'll be a foursome that you're playing with. Don't tell them you're a pastor. And it's like, why not? It's like, because then everything changes. Nobody can be themselves. Like, you're cussing for four holes, right? Not me, of course. I'm a pastor. I'm a man of the cloth. I'd never do that. But there'll be somebody cussing, and then they find out you're a pastor, and then they, they're like, oh, man. And they usually, it's usually awkward. They call me father or something like that. <laughs> they're like, padre, you know, and I'm like, dude, it's John, okay? I've been John a long time. And, uh, and so, but when they begin to start to talk about, well, first, the first thing that they say always, always is, yeah, I got to get back to church, all right? Like, I'm just, I walk around and I make feel, people feel guilty for a living. That's what I do. And so, uh, so after we get past all that, usually the topic of religion stays on for a while and invariably we get to this. It just seems to me that Christianity is a series of do's and don'ts. You ever heard that before? That religion... Christianity, whatever, is just a series of do's and don'ts, and I spend time trying to relate to people. No, no, it's a relationship with Jesus, and uh, it's not about doing or don't doing and all those things. And, and then I really had some time to think about it. I think Christianity is a series of do's and don'ts. <laughs> You're like, he's lost his mind. No, but think about it. 
Think about everything that you hold of value. Isn't it kind of a series of do's and don'ts? You look at this marriage that was here, married for 60 years. Now, they wouldn't describe their marriage as a series of do's and don'ts, but I'll bet if you were to go through and say, what, what do you love about your spouse? Or what, what, how would you uh, mark uh, your relationship with your spouse? How did it go 60 years? There will be a series of things you do and things you don't do. That may be everything healthy that we have, everything of value, is a series of do's and don'ts. I have a car. I'm not a big car guy. I used to have a 66 Mustang. Uh, here's a series of do's and don'ts. Don't buy a 66 Mustang. Okay. Uh, but there were things that you'd have to do to make sure the car runs properly. Then there's things you don't do. With a 66 Mustang, apparently what happens is the little rain thing on the hood rusts out, and when it rains, all the water goes into the hood and then onto your floorboards inside. I didn't know that. Now I do. And so I don't park it in the rain. Because if I want to protect it, I change the oil. It's something I do, and it's something there are things I don't do. I don't leave it out in the rain. Everything of value is a series of do's and don'ts. Now, there are some gray areas. But all of Scripture is, listen, God has created you a certain way. And he knows the manual. And he knows what is good for you. And he knows what is not good for you. The first thing we're going to be talking about this morning, the first thing in the list is goodness. And you think, wow, that's kind of an odd thing. We don't normally say that. Hey, work on your goodness. When I was in the eighth grade, I had a friend named Paul. Paul Richardson, he went on to be a missionary in Indonesia. And, um, but when we were in the eighth grade, uh, neither missionaries or pastors were in our future. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you had met us while we were in the eighth grade, you would be praying for our salvation. And so... Uh, Paul and I would get into all sorts of mischief, and at Paul's eighth grade, Paul and I went to two separate high schools. He went to a, 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 a Christian uh, elementary school, I'm sorry, uh, and then a Christian junior high, and I went to a full-on, like, secular elementary school, secular junior high. So I went to his eighth grade graduation, and the salutatorian got up to give her speech and she gave her speech, and she was the most beautiful person I'd ever met in my life, ever seen. And so I said to my friend Paul, hey, Paul, who's the little hottie? So remember, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know to look on the inside, okay? I was just looking on the outside. I said, who is that? And Paul leans over to me, and he says, that's Lisa Williamson. And here's what he says. She's too good for you. The, that's my wife, by the way. <laughs> so she's not too good for me. But that term, I, I was wounded because he, she sa he said, she's too good for you. You're not good enough for her. And I started kind of going through that. And I'm like, 
man, so I started learning more about this Lisa Williamson, right? And um, it turns out at that point in my life, uh, she was too good for me. And my freshman year in high school and, and subsequently my sophomore year in high school. But my junior year in high school, I had turned my life around. I had had a relationship with Jesus and, um, and she kind of wanted to be like a bad person. So she started dating me. Uh, and so this idea of goodness turned out to be true. She, I'm so glad she's not here. She'd be so uncomfortable. She is a good person. Why? Because she makes wise decisions. What I want to talk to you about this morning is making wise decisions. Now, for those of you who have been around, I've been the pastor here for 15 years. I have a famous sermon. It's called the Lego Sermon. I will, I will preach that sermon before 2021 is over, where I just have a bunch of giant Legos on stage. I'll explain to it later. But the whole premise of that sermon is, the, is similar to what I want to make, make this morning. That your life, the sum of your life, is the sum of the decisions you make. And God has designed you to make good decisions. Now, Part of the problem is we have embedded in us this thing called the flesh, and the flesh is basically a used car salesman for your body. It wants you to make decisions right away. You ever been to go buy a car and it's like you step on? I don't, if you're a car salesman, God bless you. I don't know how you do it. Um, uh, but when I step onto the lot, I immediately start to feel the pressure, right? For a lot of us, the worst decisions we ever made was listening to Ourself. Jeremiah says it this way, the heart is exceedingly wicked. Who can understand it? It's deceitful. And God would have us make good decisions. So where do we get this from? Well, we're talking about 2 Peter and uh, the, the list. And it says, his divine power has given us everything we need, everything we need to make good decisions for life and godliness. Godliness is just to become like God. We were created in the image of God. Whether you're male, female, white, black, doesn't matter, rich, poor, makes no difference. You were created in the image of your heavenly father. And he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need to make godly decisions. Who's called us through the knowledge of him. Now listen to what it says. Who called us by his own glory and goodness. This word goodness, we're going to see because it's the first word of the list. Now, why do we care about the list? Well, it goes on and it says, through these, he has given us his great, very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. This is what you were designed for. This list is just not so that you can be better than anyone else. This list is so that you can operate in the goodness that God has created you to operate in. Now, I obviously have known the Hartmans for a long time, but I haven't been there through all 60 years. I would venture to say, although I can't prove it, that there were some dark seasons of that marriage. Maybe just trying to both working, 
both trying to raise a family, both doing whatever, that there were times that were a struggle. And yet, you can still make good decisions within those areas. You probably have things in your life that were decisions that were made without you even knowing. That one day as a little kid, you're in your bed and your adult parents were deciding for you that they were going to separate. It had nothing to do with you. You had nothing to do with it. You wouldn't have chosen it. You thought they got along great. But they made that decision to separate. They didn't go the whole 60-year route. And you're just sitting there with decisions that were made that you had nothing to do with. Even in that, you can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is just basically the used car salesman. What God is trying to explain here through Peter is that there is a path for your life that is good. It's going to include some difficult things, no doubt about that. We're in a broken world. That's what happens. But you can look back over your life no matter what decisions you've made leading up to right now, right this morning, and from this point on, you can, continue, you can uh, begin to make good decisions. Goodness, I'll, I'll show you an example in just a minute. So in verse 8, it goes on, if you possess these qualities, the qualities that we're going to go through in this seven-week series, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective, and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can live a life that participates in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of the world by its lusts and by its desires. And that you can participate and have qualities in increasing measure that will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. No matter who you are and where you are in life, and you can begin today. He goes on, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's begin the list this morning. For this very reason, Make every effort to add to your faith. Last week we talked about faith. We talked about this initial salvation faith where we come to God and we say, I can't do it on my own. Forgive me of my sin. I'm ready to walk with you. And the very first thing on the list is goodness, which is essentially making the right decision or making wise decisions. Here's your point for this morning. You are the sum of your decisions. You probably, you probably know that already. That every day you are going to be confronted with a whole bunch of decisions. And if you're married, like our friends were uh, or are, that's going to happen today. It's going to happen the next day. They're going to have to decide when they wake up in the morning, who's going to serve whom, who's going to do what, who's going to let that bother them and let that not bother them. You are the sum of your decisions. You're the sum of your financial decisions. You're the sum of the decisions of how, what you put into your body. You're the, the sum of the decisions you make in your relationships. And what God would have for you is that those decisions would be good ones. That you'd slow down. 
that the car salesman in your mind who says, oh, you got to do that, you got to do that right now. If you don't, if you don't pull, make this deal happen right now, you're going to be single for the rest of your life. And you go, oh, no, I don't want to be single for the rest of my life. And some of you are like, you could be single for the rest. No, just stop it. You're married, it's too late. There's nothing you can do about that. Here's some of your decisions. So I want to show you somebody in the Bible that, that the Bible really counts as like a hero. And as we look at his story and we read his story, and it could be a she, you could just flip it, it doesn't matter. It just happens in this particular story to be a he. And, and what his life was like and the little tiny decisions that he made that ended up affecting him. He was neither ineffective or unproductive. Because he followed a simple principle that's found in 2 Peter. That God's goodness became his goodness. That the goodness of God was the thing that fueled his decision making. Because when, when it's on me, when I'm the one who has to make the decision because I feel like if I don't do this now, it's not going to happen. I am in very dangerous territory, am I not? When I say, oh man, if I don't do that. I had a, one time I had an investment. God. Anyway, I had this investment and I needed a car. We needed a car. And uh, I had this sum of money. I was between houses and I decided to take the equity of one house and do this really quick investment to make enough money so I could buy a car before I bought my next house. See, even as you say it out loud, <laughs> right, that is rule number one in making decisions. Say them out loud, preferably to a whole bunch of people. I didn't. I can say it out loud now. But I ended up making this decision. What, what, what made that decision? Fear. Fear made that decision. Because what was saying was, oh my gosh, you've got this money. If you invest it right now in this thing, this thing's going to take off, and then you'll have your money for a car. I didn't want money to be a billionaire. I wasn't going to be a billionaire. I wasn't going to be a millionaire. I wasn't going to be anything. I just wanted a car. And, but if you, don't, if, you don't get your, if you don't do it now, if you don't do it right now, you're going to miss out the opportunity. That stock price is going to go up. And you're okay, what happened? I wasn't making my decision based on But I had to pay for it, didn't I? Oh, I paid for it. So did, so did Lisa. I think she's out in the patio right now. Hey, we made it to 32 years, so that, you know, maybe not 33, but we made it to 32. So there's this guy named Joseph. I'll just give you an idea of who he is, and then we'll, we'll, we'll read his story, and we'll, we'll get out of here. But he, uh, he had these brothers. He was kind of a pain when he was uh, in his, like, younger years. Kind of like, imagine if you had 12 brothers, and you're the youngest, okay? I was the youngest. I know exactly Joseph, I know this dude because he was me. And so Joseph has this dream where he's ahead of everybody. He's like the ruler over his 12 brothers. And so they're sitting around the table eating Captain Crunch. And uh, uh, Joseph decides that it would be a good idea to tell his brothers that, um, that he was going to rule over them. And so they're eating breakfast. And he says, hey, by the way, God's given me this dream. I'm going to rule over you. And what made it worse was that Joseph was the son of um, his dad's favorite wife. Okay, so it, it gets confusing. But you can imagine, he's like the stepson that is super annoying. So they, they were going to kill him, and they end up putting him into slavery and instead, and so he becomes a slave 
and he gets sold, and he finds himself in the house of this really high official named Potiphar. Now, here's the fascinating thing about Joseph. Joseph was in slavery for about three years before he became in charge of Potiphar's house. What did he do during those three years? Okay, I'm just going to give you an honest opinion if it were me. My number one goal, get out of slavery. <laughs> I don't know, just thinking off the top of my head, that would be my favorite goal. I don't know what his deal was, but he was faithful in it. He was faithful in those little decisions, the tiny ones, the ones they don't record in the Bible. He was faithful in the decision when it came time to do something wrong. I'm sure he did things wrong. But over the course of these times where he's sitting in slavery, he begins to find the favor of God, that God's goodness becomes his goodness. And his perspective of life changed. He was no longer Joseph the slave. He was Joseph following his heavenly father. And that began to infiltrate all the decisions he makes. That began to kind of be the lens in which he sees the world. And that can be the lens for you and I. As we see God's goodness, God doesn't make decisions very quickly. He doesn't go like, oh no. God never says, oh no, right? If I find myself going, oh no, it usually means, oh, slow, <laughs> like slow down. So Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Um, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him in uh, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So here he is. He finds up in this thing. Don't get all excited about Egypt, okay? All right, okay, I'm just mentioning it. Okay, we have some people from Egypt here. Okay. The Lord was with Joseph. Nothing's happened right now. Nothing big has happened. Joseph didn't save someone's life. Joseph didn't, uh, you know, start a church. The Lord was with Joseph. Why was the Lord with Joseph? I can only speculate. It's because Joseph was making decisions that invited God into the decision-making process. Joseph was taking the goodness of God, as we read about in 2 Peter, and it was beginning to shape his goodness. Again, um, oh no, she'll get upset. Forget it, I won't tell that story. The Lord was with Joseph. Well, it was flattering to my wife, and so she doesn't like that. Um, and I want to last 60 years, or at least 59. Okay. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, not saw that he was a great person, not saw that he was funny, not saw that he really knew how to get things done, that he was super efficient, there was something about him. It was almost like someone would sit next to Potiphar and go, oh, no, you can't, you can't have Joseph. Joseph is too good for you. He's, too, he's following what God would have him to follow. And it begins to make a difference in his life. 
When he saw his master, saw the Lord was with him and the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Okay, Joseph is still in slavery. Are we clear about that? His circumstances have not changed. They have in the sense that he's now a slave to Potiphar, okay? But he's still a slave. His dad is rich, right? He comes from a wealthy family. Now, we'll see later that they end up losing a lot of it. But he went from being like really wealthy, tons of livestock, brothers, like inheritance, all that stuff, to uh, without anything he did, he was sold into slavery. Decisions were made on his behalf that had nothing to do with him. And yet, and yet, in the midst of that, he reflected the goodness of God. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted his, to his care everything he owned. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. And so Joseph began to continue. No matter where Joseph was planted, he began to make decisions that were godly. Now, like Lisa and I, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Uh, no, I just made that up. I didn't make it up. Joseph really was. But after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, if you're Joseph, here you are. You can go one of two ways. You can be like, look, I am the man. I am in charge of everything. No one's going to find out. I was sold into slavery. I had nothing to do with that. I'm making the best I can out of all this stuff. But Joseph's perspective wasn't on his circumstances. It wasn't on the fact that he was a slave. He refused. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, has, he has entrusted into my care. This is really, really important. We're going to see. Goes on. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, FYI, his wife, because you are his wife. Now watch what Joseph says. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. His reasoning is, why would I sin against not his master, God. Joseph carried this relationship with his heavenly father into everything he did. So his reasoning, Joseph's reasoning for not sleeping with Potiphar's wife wasn't that, well, that wouldn't be a good idea because of my master or because of this or how long has he been gone or all these things. He says, literally, I am not going to sin against my heavenly father because no matter where I'm planted, his goodness becomes my goodness. And so she comes on to him again. Long story short, she grabs him and he's got his cloak on and he runs out. I don't know if he was naked or not, but he runs out. She's got his cloak and she says, she falsely accuses him and he goes to prison. Again, going to prison for doing the right thing seems unfair. But while Joseph was there in prison, what happened? The Lord was with him. That because
because he was making these good decisions, because he was making wise decisions, God was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Okay, just as an aside, never do I ever want anything to be written about me that has a prison warden in the story. Even if I become like favorable to him. He's in prison. He was in prison for seven years. What was he doing? Well, the warden put Joseph in charge of those held in prison. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Our lives are just a series of our decisions. And you can begin today to begin to make wise ones. For some of you, I just want to talk to some of you right now. You don't need to raise your hand. There's a, there's a decision you're thinking about even today, even this morning. That you know God has been saying, just hold, hold off, just wait. And there's some type of turmoil in you and you're going, oh man, if I don't, but what if I, but what if I don't, but what happens if? And this story is for you. Joseph is there just being faithful every single day for seven years. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So, um, uh, so he says to, uh, there's, a, there's a baker and there's a cupbearer to the king and they show up in prison and they have these dreams and Joseph, one of the things that God has gifted Joseph with is the ability to interpret dreams. And so uh, these two have the dream, kind of the same dream, and uh, Joseph says, I'll, I'll interpret it for you. And so the cupbearer says, yeah, I had this dream, and what's going on? He goes, oh, here's what it means. In three days, the king is going to call for you out of prison. And through a series of things, you're going to be restored to be the cupbearer again. And he's like, oh, and by the way, if you could just tell the king about me that I'm a Hebrew here and I'm not supposed to be here, okay? Just let him know. Cupbearer is like, no sweat. Awesome. Three days later, cupbearer becomes cupbearer again. He gets out of prison and he's, he's given a full pardon. Second guy was a baker and he gives uh, Joseph the dream. Joseph tells him, oh, yeah, in three days, you're going to be impaled on a pole and uh, birds are going to basically eat you. And he's like, oh, but he doesn't tell that guy, oh, remember me, because he's going to be dead. And that's exactly what happened. That's what happened. And so what ends up happening is for seven years, Joseph is in jail for something he didn't do. And yet he keeps making the right decision over and over. Well, one day, the king has a dream, and the cupbearer, who's his cupbearer, goes, oh, man. Who is that dude in prison that told me my dream? And he tells the king. So the king summons for uh, 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 Joseph. He says this, I was forcibly carried off to the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in, uh, in the dungeon. And so he goes to the cupbearer, and um, uh, the king says, okay, you can do dreams. Here's my dream. Joseph says this, this is so key. I cannot do it. I can't tell you the dream. I can't get the attention. It's not about me. I have this thing that my heavenly father has just been blessing me with. He says, I can't 
Do it, Joseph replied to the guy. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And so he gives him this dream. And he gives him these two dreams. And here's what Joseph says. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. And God will do it soon. So what he says, basically, is that there's going to be a famine. And then Joseph does something you never do. He starts giving advice to the king. Don't give advice to the king unless the king asks you. But Joseph just keeps motoring right ahead. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Now, I don't know if Joseph did what I would do. I would say, now look for a discerning and wise man. <laughs> no, he didn't do that. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. God has given me favor. I'm just telling you what a good decision would be. That's all he's saying. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. Now watch what happens. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh. Do you know why the plan seemed good to Pharaoh? Because Joseph was making wise decisions day after day after day. And it's not the big ones that invite the goodness of God. It's the little ones. The tiny ones. The ones where God says to you, how are you going to handle that? How are you going to respond to that? What are you going to do? Are you going to act like Jesus in this situation? Or are you going to act differently? Joseph has a whole life of this. Now, for Joseph, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. <laughs> oh, okay. So do I don't go back to prison or do I do it from prison? Is that Zoom meetings or how do I... How does that? Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. As RJ returns, the story about Joseph is not that he ruled over Egypt. That all ended, that, that comes and goes. He came it worked, and then if, when you read Genesis, there's a famous line in there that I love uh, because if you're in leadership or anything, it just basically talks about how times change, and it says, there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. <laughs> Joseph lives his whole life, right? He's making wise decision after wise decision. He becomes king over, or uh, second to the king over all of Egypt, and then a Pharaoh comes that knows not Joseph and they put the Hebrews into slavery. You go, well, John, that's a horrible end to the story. That's terrible. It should be, it should end with him just being in charge. Your relationship with your heavenly father is not result-oriented. It says in 2 Peter that you are going to enjoy eternity and eternity isn't just heaven i mean that's good heaven's good don't don't you want to go to heaven 
But you also want it to be in a place where you can receive the goodness of God daily, no matter where you're at. Even if you're in a situation that you didn't choose to be in. Maybe through COVID, you got laid off. Maybe, you, maybe you're in a relationship right now and somebody wants to terminate that relationship. What choice do you have? To be godly. To make wise decisions and goodness that are allowing him to come through. And I talked a little bit earlier about uh, some of you who are making a decision. Here's what I want to do as we end with this final song. All I want you to do this morning and this week coming up is ask the Lord, simple question, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? S to slow down. Because if you're like me, you want to fix it. I, I want to fix it. When I got here this morning, um, there was a leak in one of the bathrooms and there was water everywhere. Um, and the only words that came to my mind were spiritual ones filled with grace and truth because I'm a pastor. But I had to ask myself the question, Lord, what would you have me do? I can get upset. I can get all freaked out and I can go, or I can just go, God, you've blessed us with this building. It's so amazing. And there's a little leak in it. If you could fix it, that would be great. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll just call somebody. What would he have you do? Maybe it's something big. Maybe he wants you to stay in a relationship. You're thinking about leaving. And it just, you're just like, I don't know if I can go one more day. I don't know if I can go one more day. And you just, just this week, you just ask the Lord, God, what would you have me do? And to be honest with him. And then to act upon the answer. Let me pray for us and we'll sing one last song and I'll come up and give us a blessing. Lord Jesus, we want our life to be marked by goodness. We want to be good people. Lord, we know even tongue in cheek that the sum of our relationship with you is not do's and don'ts. It's a rich, vibrant relationship. And yet, all the great relationships we have, there are things we do, there are things we don't do. So Father, I pray, as we go before you this week, Asking you, God, what would you have me do? What's the wise thing to do? We'd hear your voice. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand for the blessing. For those of you who uh, were listening to this sermon or whatever, I just feel strongly that there's at least two of you in here. Maybe you're watching online. He's already spoken to you. He's already told you the answer to your question. He's already told you what to do, and you don't like it. I promise you, I promise you, if the Lord is giving you an answer to your decision, it'll go better for you. It might take seven years. <laughs> it might take a while. But it will go better for you if you listen to his voice and you act upon what he's asking you to do or not do. Amen? And now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go in his peace, in his joy and in his strength, in his courage. In Jesus' name, amen.